0: don't build themselves. What's up, and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. I am a Dream Mason, a performance and mindfulness coach. I work with leaders, creators, and innovators, those brave enough to build their dreams. If you're a high performer looking for an edge with a desire to expand your leadership, generate more money, more time, and feel more fulfilled working with me, will support you in making that life a reality. Now, if you haven't already, please support me and this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube. Follow me, Inspirational Alex, on Instagram, and please share this podcast with a friend. Now, let's not wait any longer. Let's jump right into this episode of the Dream Mason Podcast and let you meet our guest, Heather Pierce-Campbell. All right, welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm Alex Terranova, and today I have a guest who I'm just really excited—somebody who is just as passionate about me, as passionate as me, in helping people with their lives, their businesses. So I'm really excited to introduce introduce you guys. I can't speak today uh, to, <laughs> to Heather Pierce Campbell. Heather is a attorney. She's a legal coach, and really. I think the thing about you, Heather, that I want people to really get is the passion. Um, we've had lots of conversations. We met online through LinkedIn. We've had these conversations. I asked you to do this because you actually demonstrated it in supporting me through like legal coaching. And I was just really blown away by the, the desire you have to support other people in winning. And it wasn't through this like, hey, give me your money so I can help you win. It was actually just like the thing you wanted to do. So I think the things that people really want to, that I want people to know about you is you are a legal warrior. I know that's like your brand, but you are, you're, you're fighting like a warrior is out there fighting for a cause or something that's like bigger than them. And that's you. I want people to know that you're passionate about it, that it's beyond just like the legal work or the kind of, you go far and beyond what, I, I want to say my experience of what lawyers would do. Mm. You also have this mission to actually change the legal profession so people can get the support they need to help them further their dreams and their goals. I also want to say that you're a mother, um, you have two kids, right? Uh, and, and you have a husband who's a, bi- a scientist Basically, a
1: biochemist.
0: (laughs) Thanks for being here. Is there anything you want people to know that besides that?
1: Oh, thank you. That you know that was a great introduction, and I appreciate your personal insights into your experience with me. Um, I do feel like a legal warrior. Like when I was creating essentially the brand name for my online business, you know, I played around with a few, but that one you know, the legal website warrior stuck with me for so many reasons. And I just went with it and I've gotten great feedback about it, which makes me happy because I feel like people, especially once they interact with me, like they understand what I'm about and I care so much that people know that. And I care, yes, that legal support is delivered differently, um, including to the entrepreneur, you know, the entrepreneur, um, community in the United States and the small business, the small online business community, because that as a group, they are not well served by our traditional legal market. And I witnessed that for years before creating my new business. So um, thank you for telling me that. And that I come across as a legal warrior. It's how I feel. It's how I feel about my clients and I care a lot about their success.
0: It's so, it's so important too, because you happen to fill and there's other people, right? It's not just you or just the law profession, but I can't do what I want to do without people like you. Like, it's just not possible. Like there's things that I need or will need at some point. And there's plenty of people that aren't coaches or don't have podcasts or, or whatnot. You just can't ignore the legal profession or accountants or, you know, 50 other things that we could come up with. Mm -hmm. And so to find people that are, I want to say, are doing the thing that they are passionate about and that they love, because there's a ton of lawyers, they don't all love it. There's a ton of coaches, they don't all love it. There's probably even professional athletes that are like, I don't really love what I do. It just makes me good money. Mm -hmm. So to find someone that fits that to support you in your business, I think is so key. And it just reminds me that as I go out in the world and look for people, it's always to look for people that are like that that are just as passionate about what they do and have them join your team.
1: Mm-hmm. No, thank you for that. It's. Um, I agree. I think a lot of people, you know, consider their work a job, <laughs> right? And that makes me sad. Like I'm on a mission to not have people be working jobs, but to mm-hmm. have people doing the work that they're called to do in this lifetime. And I think we all come with tremendously unique, ideas, and, you know, opportunities for service, um, being of service to other people. And I think, you know, our first job is figuring out what that is. And then our second job is figuring out how to do it successfully. And when people can do that, they get to support their families or themselves. They get to contribute to communities. They get to be of bigger service in the world. And that's what I'm committed to.
0: Well, let's talk about the commitment because I know for you, Commitment is a big thing, like actually being really committed to whatever it is that you're up to, whether it's what you do, what I do, or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the difference that you've seen in, in your personal life, right? Like, how has commitment helped you be successful and create the business and the life and the family that you want?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, a great question. Um, commitment, I think, is one of those words that gets tossed around, but... <laughs> You see like in a person's life, whether they're living commitment or not, right, and I think um, at least in the online world and i'm I'm lucky to work you know by and large with like who I consider to be really amazing people and amazing clients and um, and yet there I feel like even in the online space and the space of people that I serve, there are probably a certain amount of people doing something because they think it's what they should be doing or maybe they're doing it in the way that other people are telling them that they should be doing it and um that's you know like i'd love for people to stop that (laughs) and i think commitment really only comes when you are so clear on what it is that you either want to create or should be doing with your life that like there's no other alternative And I think that's what commitment looks like is that true deep knowing of what it is that you really are here to do. And, um, you know, everybody's path towards sorting that out looks a little different, but I think, you know, you're asking a lot of the same questions and sometimes that means you have to try on different things. And so commitment to me can even sometimes look like quitting, right? You and I had this discussion before the call started today that, you know, perseverance is key but I do think sometimes it means trying something out and saying you know that's not it so quitting can even be done on the path of perseverance and commitment to figuring out what it is that you should be doing but once you know you know and that's usually when people show up at my door they have the thing that they have figured out that they should be doing and they want to do it the right way so that is why and I have it in my messaging like I, my clients are people who are really serious about what they're doing. They want to do it well and they are planning for success, which is why they're at the point of, you know, um, making decisions involving legal support because people who are just dipping their toe in the water or trying something out, they're not at the point of getting legal support.
0: And then what about for you personally? Like where has, where have you been challenged or faced with your own kind of commitment battles in your in you building your own business or you, you know, being a mom and a wife?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Well, and I, you know, for people that know me, I talk pretty openly about my journey, so I'm happy to share this part as well. But, um, you know, my truthfully, my biggest, uh, my biggest challenges when it comes to commitment have probably shown up in my personal journey to becoming a mom. So even against, you know, when I talk about building my newest business, which is the legal website warrior, right? Online legal support for other online businesses. I, I've done that against the backdrop of what I have labeled, like climbing my personal Mount Everest. So when I got married, my husband and I, we knew we wanted kids. And, you know, at the time I was 34, 35, he was 40. We didn't know Like, were we going to be one of those couples that had to try for a while, right? I've had sisters that took, took like, quite a while to get pregnant. So I assumed, like, maybe I'll have the same struggles. And so we tried right away and got pregnant right away. But turned out, like, staying pregnant for me has been one of my biggest struggles. So we, you know, it took us seven years and seven pregnancies and literally, like, multiple near-death experiences for me to – get our two children. And yeah, if we had met younger, started younger, like I maybe would have had three or four, we're pretty elated to have two. And truthfully, we had reached a point of acceptance around just having one, you know, after we were able to have our son Aiden. But there was some part of me that knew like, I had a baby girl coming to me, I just knew it. And it took, you know, five more years of trying and like literally some of the heart and I'm pretty tough physically. Like I've got some stories that make people kind of sit back, but this, I mean, blew any other previous, you know, physical difficulty out of the water. I mean, this journey has been the most intense thing in my life. So um, here I am now with an 11 month old baby girl and like that getting even like surviving her pregnancy took the most extreme commitment like I've ever had in my life to get through something so yeah that's been you know quite the journey and luckily I'm able now to look back and say I did it and it was all worth it but in the midst of it like I there were several points where I literally didn't know if I would survive
0: so you said seven years and seven pregnancies how do you, I mean, look, people, we all know people that have had like one, you know, mm-hmm. let's say a pregnancy that didn't go the way that the person wanted it to. Uh-huh. And the emotional impact is massive, right? It's, it takes a huge, I've known a few people and you you can see it just all over their being. Uh-huh. So you had that happen seven times. How did, how were you even capable of like, like picking yourself up, putting it kind of back together and like swinging the bat again, basically, mm-hmm. because a lot of people would have quit, right? Like, oh, let's adopt or whatnot. Like what had, and even your husband, cause you said near death, which mm-hmm. applies to you, not unless you were killing him through the process. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like To have him also say like, I'm willing to keep going. Cause there's a potential I could lose my wife.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, um you know, again, I think it comes down to, and for me, I had a deep knowing, like I really believed that we had a second child coming. And the interesting thing is at each point, like at each new pregnancy, I was as optimistic as I was the first time. Like I I literally, there was a part of me and maybe it's just kind of my eternal optimism. I trusted the universe and I trusted that things would go how they were supposed to go. And so, Yes, it was devastating at each point when, you know, um, things didn't go how I wanted them to go. It, and certainly there were times where I thought, my gosh, like, is my body not designed for this? Am I not capable of doing it? Like, is there something wrong? I've, I had all those typical questions, right? And yet, like, I've always believed in the resilience of our physical bodies and I've always like in my mind I know that I'm good at healing like I've I know I've been through really hard stuff before and I know like I'm capable of healing and our bodies are designed to heal it's literally what we're doing every day of our lives is healing so I just held on to that belief like you know I'll heal and we'll get through this and try again and the only time I ever questioned like can I keep going was after our sixth pregnancy. So our first two, we had two miscarriages before Aiden. Um, the first one, we didn't know why. The second one was um, some genetic abnormalities. It was a pregnancy that also stopped itself. Um, and it was, it's called Turner syndrome. It's the equivalent of Klinefelter syndrome, which is essentially missing chromosomes, right? And so baby girls that are born with Turner syndrome tend to like have heart problems and they really shorten stature. Anyways, but we had to push really hard to get the fetal tissue tested. There's all of these. I mean, my goodness, I could teach for hours on (laughs) navigating our medical systems and how to have conversations with doctors about this and how to get the right testing and the right help based on what we've been through. But, um, you know, we had several of those experiences. And the other thing about my body that I found fascinating is despite these really crazy tumultuous um, experiences, I never once miscarried on my own. So my body literally hung on to every pregnancy like you know, just was never going. So I had to like go through all these medical procedures to deal with that, right? Before modern medicine, like I probably just would have died. So it was really interesting to observe like how I feel like my body expressed my emotions, like just wanting to be pregnant so bad, it wouldn't even allow me to miscarry even when the baby had stopped developing, right? So I had several of those experiences before Aiden, and then we had Aiden, this successful pregnancy by and large things went well, right? We've had our own struggles with Mr. Aiden since, but he's an amazing child. And then we've had four more pregnancies and they involved um, what's called a corneal pregnancy. So we had one, um, one pregnancy after Aiden, and then I had a corneal pregnancy, which is so an ectopic pregnancy you've probably heard of. An ectopic pregnancy is where I don't think I
0: know. I don't think I know. I
1: know you're going to get a mini lesson. I
0: know nothing. I'm, yeah, I'm getting educated.
1: <laughs> so I'm just explaining like all of this leads up to essentially what was like close to my breaking point. Um, a corneal pregnancy. So an ectopic pregnancy, I think you have one in a thousand chances of having an ectopic pregnancy An ectopic is where the, em- the embryo embeds right where your fallopian tube meets the uterus. So it usually results in removal of the fallopian tube if it's caught after seven or eight weeks, which they usually are, right? Unless you have a history of really crazy stuff related to pregnancy. So a corneal pregnancy, if you have an ectopic pregnancy of those, right? One in a thousand chance for ectopic. Of those, you have one in a thousand chance that one of those is going to be a corneal pregnancy, and that um actually sorry i explained that wrong ectopic is where the embryo embeds literally just in the fallopian tube so that's why you usually you lose the fallopian tube corneal is what i just described which is where it embeds right where your fallopian tube meets your uterus those are a bit more complex so i actually had to have part of my uterus removed as well as my fallopian tube right and you literally have one in a million chance of having a corneal pregnancy So I had that, that was pregnancy number five.
0: And then because
1: it was this massive surgery on my uterus, and anyways, I had to wait quite a while to heal that before we could try again, at which point we did. And like all of my hormone levels were great, like every single sign pointed to this being like a very healthy pregnancy. Baby girl was progressing perfectly. I passed all of the early tests in my pregnancy. We made it into the fourth or fifth month, and I opted for a blood test that they offer older moms right and it was at that point I got a call from my doctor, and I knew the second like I was getting a call like something is not right, and it turns out despite passing all these other tests and all the hormones, like literally being through the roof, which means your body's responding the right way. It's supporting the pregnancy, etc. I get this call. It says we've had like a 99.7 chance that this pregnancy, um, that the baby has down syndrome. Right. So that was devastating. And, you know, we cried for a week and we did all this research into the test itself, you know, all of this stuff and, There's a, you know, a fair amount of opportunity for error in that test. And so I still, the optimistic part of me was like, well, the test could be wrong. There's there's pretty much like when you get that news, there's no segmenting actual, you know, actual true percentages of where you might fall and, and the percentage of error is not reflected in that 99.7% value. So we understood like that's what comes from the doctor, but that may not be an actual true, you know, statement regarding the test. So we, you know, we had to wait and then the next week go in essentially for further testing, Balled our eyes out that whole week. And when we went in for the next round of testing, they started with an ultrasound and at that point, the pregnancy had stopped on its own. And that, you know, and that was like, I don't know, 16 weeks or something. So it, you know, that was really, and I'm really, really sick. Like in every pregnancy, the first trimester is so awful. So it's like literally with every pregnancy that I lost, I would be getting through essentially the worst of it and then get this new. So with that one, that was pregnancy number six. And we lost that little girl and it was just like, was the first time I said to my husband like I don't know if I can go through this again and yet we got referred to genetic counselors like genetic testing at that point we thought well maybe we have something to learn so we went and paid thousands of dollars for all of this genetic testing literally to be told you guys don't have one red flag for either one of you like everything looks perfect you don't have one thing chromosomally wrong like nothing not and they test for like hundreds and hundreds of things and so It confirmed what doctors had already been telling us, which is like, you guys are just having terrible luck, like terrible from a statistical standpoint, like the fact that all of these different things have happened to you, right? So that was interesting that medicine was also showing us and confirming what doctors instinctually had been telling us, and then that did lead into... And in vitro, like IVF process, in in vitro, I can't say, in vitro fertilization. And then because of our particular history, like the part that we had to use about IVF wasn't really the the getting pregnant part. We got pregnant really easily on our own. It was the chromosomal testing of the embryos. So the irony is that when we went through that process, again, I almost died. They sent me home bleeding out to my abdomen. And that was... um, a really horrible experience, but I'll skip most of the details other than to say that I survived it and um, all the results of the embryos that we did achieve, they were all girls. So we, you know, and luckily first attempt after I healed, we got our baby girl and everything went perfectly, you know, as far from her development standpoint, that was the hardest pregnancy to survive. I almost didn't survive that one, but anyways, All of this is to say that I did have a series of choices to make and they, you know, I never knew what I was in for. And so I think, you know, the thing about courage and moving forward is that we are often making decisions, obviously with the absence of knowledge about what lies ahead and we do it anyway. And even when like I had each time I was totally 100% optimistic, like we'd end up kind of with this shocker. It was like, well, this is just our path. I guess this is just what it takes to get our kids. And, you know, I knew even going into that final pregnancy, it would be my last one. Like I had this deep knowing, like I'm not cut out for another one. This is it. This is it for me.
0: You, there's so much, and you and I were talking about perseverance and courage and we were talking about it from business, right? From a business standpoint. And then you tell this story and, and I don't even know about, we haven't talked at all about, and we don't necessarily need to, but like about your early life, earlier life, you know, your childhood, growing up, whatever. Mm -hmm. But my hunch is that you probably went through some pretty intense things because you probably couldn't have gone through this had you not been prepared. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, right? Cause your son is on the spectrum. And so now there's another journey Mm -hmm. and it's almost, the thing that I hear, it's like, you're, the, the perseverance and the courage is ridiculous. I mean, it's vastly beyond where most people would go and and not even just with pregnancy, right? Most people, anything we quit when it gets hard or when we fail or doesn't work out exactly the way we want a few times. There's so much faith in your speaking. And when I say that, I like, whenever I talk about faith, I, I always like to clarify. It doesn't have to be for somebody listening. Like it doesn't have to be faith in God. It could be faith in yourself. It could be faith in the universe, the process, whatever, but there's so much faith that you just kept kind of leaning into,
1: mm.
0: and it just reminded me a lot of how, like, I believe that there's nothing wrong with any human beings. We're all actually whole and perfect. Now, from the human perspective, we think of like, oh, they have a problem. There's something wrong with them. They're actually <laughs> whole and perfect because that's the only way they can be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I hear there's so much faith in that you kind of went through this process like there was nothing wrong and we just have to keep going and it will work out when it's supposed to work out Mm -hmm. how does that translate into like what you're up to now and what you want to be Mm -hmm.
1: Mm, that's a great question so i mean there's some obvious parallels and actually i love that question because one thing that i for people that really know me I can be very hard on myself, right? I get a very clear idea about what I want to achieve and what my vision for myself or for like the way that I want to be serving people in my business. And there are also like the reality of developing this business alongside the backdrop of being a mom to two young kids and my son, I think I mentioned to you like my son, we spend right now 40 hours a month with him in therapy and My daughter is 11 months and I'm a full-time mom to her, right? So literally my business for the last six years, seven years has been built in nap times, evenings, and weekends, right? That's it. Just like in the last month and a half, six weeks, eight weeks, I hired a little gal to come in and be with my daughter a couple days, you know, two or three days a week for three hours at a time. That's the first time in six years that I've had dedicated like actual dedicated work time during the business day. So, so to answer your question though, I'm also very hard on myself around achieving things on a certain timeline, right? When I get clarity around what I want to do and what I want to be doing in my business, even though it's kind of, you know, I'm truthfully unfair to myself because of the way that I've decided to prioritize being a mom first, you know, obviously I'm not working, you know, eight or nine or 10 hour days during the business hours of a workday. Um, and what I've had to accept is like, there is a season, like things happen in the right season, both of life and seasons within the year. And there's an ebb and flow to things. And at times I've been super frustrated at myself because I want things to happen on a certain timeline. And yet, um, this trusting in the universe is a theme that consistently shows up in my life. And I always have reminders to do it because like, I still have amazing things happening in my business and like the right people showing up at my door, even when I feel like I haven't put in directed efforts for that one thing. And what I realize there's an exercise that I always tell people about that I love, there's a woman actually in California named Andrea Sheeran, she has a program, like a little mini course called Mondo Biondo. And like, I just had a a call with my mastermind group this morning and I shared Mondo Biondo with them. Like, I don't know, whenever we started our mastermind process, which I think was late last year or early this year. And they all have actually started doing that course. And we talk about the results that show up like literally like that. And what it takes is essentially expressing out loud or to the universe, like what you would like to have happen, even if you have zero idea about how it's going to happen. And this is the concept that I think is important, both in my personal life and my work life is being really clear about the end goal and letting go of the fact that, and I think a lot of us who are driven and determined think that like, we need to do everything to get from here to there And we don't, if we're clear on what we want, the universe conspires to support us. And I've always believed that. And, you know, even when we don't know how it's going to, like things will show up at the right time and in the right way, if you're clear on your path and it's the right path for you. So that message has come through loud and clear, even when I'm beating myself up for not like doing things as quickly as I would like them done or making as much progress on my own. And it always reminds me like, you know what? It'll happen when it's meant to happen. Like I will be in the right place at the right time. If I just allow it.
0: It reminds me of one of the things I go back to. I mean, I love the idea of like the vision and having it really clear and stating it out loud. So many people, when I ask my clients what they want, it's one of the first places they get stopped or by when will they have it and they freak out. It's like, nobody wants to actually say it because there's this fear of like, what if it doesn't happen or now people know. Mm -hmm. But I always come back to that idea of like, we actually can't get it all done. Like we have this belief that I need to work harder so I can do more and get more done and accomplish more as if one day there'll be nothing on the list. Mm -hmm. And if that was the case, right, there'd already be nothing on the list because human beings have been around for like hundreds of thousands of years or whatever. But we still stay on this, like, I need to do more, I need to do more. And that just brings me back to the, your faith concept. Like, hey, I'm doing what I can do, and I'm applying myself, and I'm doing enough, and that there's some aspect of this game that I can't control. And I actually have to have faith in that.
1: Totally. And I think we get too consumed with the control part, right? What can I, can't, like, what do I get to control, and what should I be, and, and we don't, allow enough room for the rest of it to just show up and like recognize it when it shows up and understand that like, that's just part of the process.
0: Well, how do you do that? Cause right. You're, you just talked about how much you have on your plate and, and all the things that you're doing mm-hmm. when you're actually in that place of feeling like I need to do more. Oh my God, I have these clients that, you know, you were just giving a talk in New York. I have this talk I need to do. I have these clients I need to respond to. I have two children that need me. I have a husband that needs me. And I didn't even get to your own personal needs. <laughs> like, how do you actually, um, like what's your, what's your actual practice or process mm-hmm. that kind of brings you to that place of like, Hey, I can't actually control all this.
1: Yeah. So the concept of balance is talked about a lot, right? In business and balancing work and personal life. And I think, um, you know, and there's all these articles about can women have it all and can they achieve balance, you know, blah, 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 blah. So one, I have accepted there really is no thing that is balance (laughs) but that you need to have a certain amount of balance like over a period of time so I may not have a Monday that looks very balanced it might be like totally out of whack but hopefully by the end of the week I've been able to manage somehow fitting in hubby time or fitting in a little bit of personal time or having time with my kids and um, you know, and also managing at some point to carve out enough time to do what I need to do in work that week. So I've had to accept that there's no such thing for me really as like a perfect organized day. And I think most parents, especially if they're in primary parenting roles, like they understand that. <laughs> and even with the overlay of like current events right now, like there's this whole other layer of like some days I just go, you know what, there is something more important today than business and even though i had these plans like instead i need to be calling congress people and writing letters and making phone you know whatever faxing and phone. and i just have to accept that like there's always a trade-off we always get to choose and so long as we're making kind of the right trend of choices over time like we may never at one particular point be in balance but hopefully we're achieving balance like in the flow of things
0: I love that. Yeah. It's like not a, I had a yoga teacher once who said this brilliant statement, like he didn't normally at yoga, right? Somebody will do, they'll do like one side of your body and then they'll do the other side. And he didn't do that. And there were people in the class that had already started to kind of go. And he was like, no, no, we're not going to do the other side. And this was when I was living in New York. And he goes, for all of you that think balance works like that, I would expect to see you trading which hand you're going to swipe your subway card with to make sure you have perfect balance every single time.
1: Yeah, you carry your purse on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And nobody does that, right? But we think it's all this like balance doesn't look how we necessarily think it looks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Overall, it balances out, but it's, it doesn't have to be this controlling it to maintain balance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You just said, um, and I love it because it's such a theme for me in my own life and my practice. We get to choose. And I think people forget that, like that actually everything in our life is a choice, even in the sense of if you live in California and then you experience an earthquake well, you're like, I didn't choose the earthquake. No, but you chose to live in California and there are earthquakes in California. You, you know, people could say like, hey, I didn't choose for some of the things in politics to go on. Well, you did because you chose to live in a country that has voting and and it didn't maybe go the way or did go the way you wanted, there's actually always a choice Mm -hmm. in everything. Nothing really just happens. Mm -hmm. It's happened, and there's a choice that we were involved in somewhere along the line. How do you you really like, it sounds like you take a lot of responsibility, Mm -hmm. like for your life and the way it goes. How do you practice that?
1: You know, I think, and thank you for acknowledging that. I mean, I like to think that I do. I know that there's ways I could take more responsibility, right? So I'm human and there are days where it's like, oh, if I only could find a babysitter that was capable of like watching both my kids, right? So in our life, like that's one of our struggles is Mm not being able to keep it. So that also impacts like whether my hubby and I get time together. So you know, yes, there are times where I definitely allow myself to feel victim a little bit, but in each given moment, I do believe we have a choice. And like at the end of the day, my choice might be to just sit next to my husband on the sofa for 10 minutes before I crash. And I still, I have a choice about whether I keep working at that point or whether I just sit with him, even if he's vegging out and watching a TV show. And I'm not a big fan of TV, right? But we do have choices, and, you know, for me, I think going through some times in my life where, you know, I had to learn and face the reality of, like, look, if I don't make the choice to be responsible for this, the, the disempowerment that happens from that of, like, recognizing my own contribution is that this problem never gets fixed, and I, I think to my core, I'm a problem solver. Like, that's just who I am, so I think I came naturally a bit that way of like looking at a problem from the standpoint of like what's the solution and it's what has served me really well in my legal career and figuring out some really complex scenarios with a lot of moving parts and tight deadlines and being able to resolve those where previously like whole teams of attorneys were involved and couldn't get that scenario resolved so I think for me, like, just the problem-solving part of my nature is really strong, and that also supports me also looking at things and saying, okay, what is my role? And then, you know, I think selecting the career that I went into, a huge part of my early legal training, because since day one, I had a very strong interest in alternative dispute resolution. The whole series of books written by the program on negotiation at Harvard, right? So getting to yes, getting past no, difficult conversations, like whether you're, I mean, it doesn't really matter what you're doing in life, you should read those books. They help in the context of having difficult conversations, but, you know, the interesting part was a huge part of, you know, the messaging in the, those books is about taking responsibility for your part of the equation. Like stopping the blame game and instead moving into like how people contributed, you know, how they shared in an outcome, even if it's one that they didn't want. And that the only, the only way to move people past being defensive and positional is by owning your contribution right? Then they feel like you're human and also recognizing their perspective and allowing them to feel heard. And I'm not saying I'm an expert at that, but I think recognizing your own contribution in your own life. I mean, yes, we don't get to control everything. I mean, look at my journey. Like I thought, given my mom's scenario, you know, she had six kids, no medical complications. Like I thought, you know, I'm made to do this. I'm made to be a mom and to have children easily and no, definitely wasn't my path to like easily have children. And so um, I never thought that that was going to be my path. And, um, you know, as far as um, recognizing choice and taking responsibility, it's, you know, yes, you have to recognize there's a certain amount that's beyond your control. But I think it's absolutely like so important that we take responsibility for what we, we do contribute to. I mean, I just don't think there's any other way if you want to have a fulfilling life.
0: Yeah. And I think when you can't take responsibility for the thing, like, right, I can't take responsibility for the earthquake. Mm -mm. Um, And I can't take responsibility for a boss that is, acts like a crazy person, Mm -hmm. but we do get to take responsibility and choose who we're going to be in the face of situations, which I think is the higher level conversation it's like okay well stuff's gonna happen because this is life Mm -hmm. so who are you gonna be when the shit hits the fan basically because that's your choice that's where you can take responsibility
1: Totally. Um, like in regards to other people no we never get to take responsibility for other people but we get to take responsibility for our boundaries and how we respond to people and you know it's um there's a lot that people have control over that they don't often acknowledge I think
0: Yeah. And I think people forget too, that like, you know, you and I can have a huge fight and let's just say for argument's sake, like I actually caused it. Like anyone watching would go, Oh, that was on Alex did that. You still, I think there's this thing where people don't realize like you could take responsibility and I could take responsibility. We both could take a hundred percent responsibility. It doesn't make me wrong, you right or anything. It just actually means we're all owning our own lives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the power behind that, behind that supports us to actually connect and reconnect and move forward versus if we're not, if I'm like, oh, I'll take 80% because, you know, she said that one thing <laughs> and I'm still holding on to that one thing. I can't let it go. So mm-hmm. it's, I think of it as like you're dragging like a dead body over your shoulder. That, that one thing that I can't let go of that I won't take responsibility for, mm-hmm. I'm just dragging it around.
1: Mm-hmm yes no and i i love that because it does i mean you illustrate in that one example how important the power of responsibility is like it's a really powerful thing to take responsibility right and yet i would draw a distinction between that dynamic between two healthy-minded people Versus, because I've also had the experience in my life of like some truly toxic people, there's no amount of having that conversation that's going to move that relationship into a place that it should continue, right? So I think also recognizing like where it's appropriate and necessary in furtherance of a relationship or certain goals, and where it's also necessary to say, for example, I'm not responsible for what's happening over here in this person's life and I'm not going to take responsibility for it, right?
0: Yeah, well, and uh, yeah, and I think the that's when we get the responsibilities to choose that, right? If we continue to involve ourselves with toxic people mm-hmm. or toxic situations, and then continue to blame the situations, no, now we're we're not taking responsibility. That we we actually chose to be there. We chose to spend time with the friend who always at a child's birthday party gets hammered and causes a scene. Like, I love that. I, I come up with I always come up with the most random analogies and metaphors. <laughs> But, like, mm-hmm. we're the one that invited that person. And, like, we know that happens. So then when they do that, it's yep. not really on us to get mad at them.
1: Yeah,
0: That's what they do. Maybe we shouldn't have invited them. And actually taken responsibility for the impact of having to deal with that or whatever.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Um, what was the name? I just, I want to, uh, what were the name of the books? Because I thought that was oh, really yeah. cool.
1: That Absolutely. So the first book, there's Getting to Yes.
0: Yeah, I've read that.
1: Right? There's Getting Past No, and those ones are really about dynamics in the context of negotiations, strategy, you know, when you have conflicting views and you're trying to negotiate with somebody. Um, the book I love, though, that's my favorite, is Difficult Conversations. And that is um, by the same group. I think they kind of vary by book depending on who is involved. But Difficult Conversations is by Bruce Patton, Sheila Heen, and William Uri. Okay. Um, just look it up on Amazon. There's like a newer updated version of it, but they're all excellent books if you are a person that has to do a fair amount of communicating, which how many of us don't have to do that, right? So um, difficult conversations, the power in that book, and I tell people it's an easy book to read. It's a difficult book to implement, right? You have to overcome essentially just like very regular human tendencies in the context of, Um, difficult conversations and disputes and that tends to be an area where a lot of people are really uncomfortable. Um, A lot of people have the instinct of like wanting to sweep difficult stuff under the rug, not deal with it or deal with it later or think that it will go away, right? And so the power in the book Difficult Conversations is also really about tapping into your courage and having the strategies to deal with things in the way that is going to create the most success for you and the other person. So, um, it's a phenomenal book and for anybody in business or in personal lives. Right. It applies across the board. It's amazing.
0: If you had, if your kids could see, you know, your journey and what you've been through, like if they could actually just, if I had a tape and I was like, Hey, we're going to fast forward and you're going to see your mom Mm -hmm. and what she's been through and what she's overcome, what would be the thing you would want them to learn from it? Like quick, like one or two words.
1: Oh, trust. Trust. Nice. like tr- just trusting in, um, in life. It's a bit like what we talked about already, trusting that things will show up when they need to show up and also being open to like recognizing either the lesson or the opportunity in front of you. And, um, you know, for me, I think we often know, or we think we know like what should happen next. And if, again, this is the wanting to control the how, So long as you're clear on the end result and what you want to either achieve or create, like the, how takes care of itself. And that's the trusting part. Right. So I would say trust.
0: So this is a, this might be a tough one. And I'm, um, so we didn't talk that much about your son,
1: Mm -hmm. but what's the,
0: what's the vision? If you had a, if you have like, I'm sure you think about his future. Mm-hmm. what's the, like vision or the goal you have for him in his life? Obviously he's going to choose things himself as mm-hmm. he grows, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: it, what would be your wish for him be?
1: Oh my gosh. My wish for him is, is happiness. Like, you know, it's hard. I think there's nothing harder for a parent than seeing their little person struggle in some way. You know, I truthfully don't know if there's anything harder in the human experience, you know, and I'm getting emotional. I think And you and I have talked a little bit about current events, but
0: as a mom
1: who, you know, when I think about literally, I didn't know I was risking my life, but literally risking my life multiple times to get my two children. And it took seven years, like what these parents at our borders are going through, right? So there's, I mean, it's an emotional experience for any parent to watch their child, you know, face a difficulty or feel alone or you know, be physically or in a, and you know, in their health challenged, right? And so the first, I would say few years, not few years, like as a baby um, things. And the interesting thing, I think that the thing that's most interesting about my son in the context of his, you know, his ASD diagnosis, diagnosis, and really it's Asperger's. So it's a very particular kind of subsection. It got lumped in with ASD, but it used to be a separate diagnosis. Um, which means he's very high functioning and the blessing in that is that it, that part, that high functioning part is what made it so hard to figure out what was going on because he's this really delightful, charming little person and he will talk your head right off. Like we would go through a Starbucks drive through and he'd be mad at me, you know, at age three for not letting him be the one talking to them at the window, right? Right and he would walk up to adults like on the street and be like hi what's your name you know getting onto a plane was impossible with him he would have to stop at every seat and be like hi i'm aiden i'm four what's your name what are you you know and like literally wanted to have this conversation with every single person as we progressed through the plane and so He's this really wonderful, delightful little person that also came with some pretty significant behavioral challenges in the context of a peer setting. He was very physically capable early. I mean, this kid could, at the age of three, hit a fast-pitch baseball pitched by an adult and, like, hit it over our fence. So he's, like, physically capable and verbally very capable. I mean, he was speaking as early as children speak and using very adult words and you know so he did not fit quote unquote this typical profile of kids with that diagnosis which is also you know what made his case particularly challenging and the reason I'm willing to speak out about it is because it took us several years of a very hard journey and like him being kicked out of preschools repeatedly which was heartbreaking because he was this very social little being at a young age and he was being deprived of preschool experience, you know, and the trusting your gut and like knowing, you know, there's got to be a solution or some information that you don't have that would help him, you know, keeping on that path. Um, For him, I wish happiness and like total acceptance of who he is and you know, to get there, like we're buffering him right now with all of this support, because all of the evidence shows when you do it, you know, this intensely with these young kids, you set them up for much better chances of success, you know, in life. But um, yeah, like any parent, my goal for him would be, you know, happiness and understanding how he can be successful with his real unique makeup. And he's got some amazing, amazing strengths. And so, you know, being able to celebrate his strengths with him as he grows older, it's, it's been such a joy. Like even the transformation in the last year, it's, you know, night and day difference compared to where we were.
0: Well, he's lucky too, cause he has two parents that clearly are already like fighters and warriors. And no matter what, I, I, I have to believe that no matter what he comes up against, you know and every kid comes up against something regardless of their situation you know, everyone knows going through school, being a teenager or whatever is, is challenging enough. Um, so, but having two parents that actually are all about perseverance and courage and fighting and and getting to an outcome is not going to hurt him.
1: Um, yeah, it's huge. I mean, for any parent, right. I think the lesson for all of us is to be strong advocates for our children, like no matter their makeup, like that's our job in their life.
0: If, who's the, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it back as we wrap up. Like, yep. to, to, who is the ideal, who are the ideal people that you would love to work with that would like seek you if, you know, if, if the universe was just sending people to you, then they were knocking on your door, who would they be?
1: Um, so luckily, like I am working with people who are my ideal people. Um, and for me, those people always, the ones who show up and like either see or hear my messaging and resonate with, you know, the support that they need in their business and the way that I describe and provide that support, they're people who know exactly what they're up to in the world. Like they're very clear on their path and they're also very clear on their commitment to their own success, usually for bigger reasons than just themselves, right? So, It is why I say, I mean, I support and protect the businesses of world-changing entrepreneurs. So these are people who understand their mission and they have big visions and big missions and they are in service to the people that they serve and that's how they think of it, right? And yes, there's a strong business component in there, right? When you succeed personally like I said, you support families, you maybe support employees, you support your community, you contribute to the world like it, a rising tide lifts all boats. And that's how I see, you know, success and supporting people in the niche of uh, people that I serve. And so they're people who are clear on their path. They're committed to their own success. And because of that, like they show up and they're ready to go they know exactly that, you know, the support that I provide is something that they need.
0: What's the best way for people to find you, track you down or just learn more about like what you're doing and what you're up to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So people can always find me online. My brand name and my website is legalwebsitewarrior.com. So there's lots of great information and articles on there for people who are exploring what, you know, legal support in their business looks like or have particular questions. Um, I also, as far as social media goes, even though I have like, for example, a Facebook page, it's just under my name, Heather Pierce Campbell. Um, And Pierce, by the way, is spelled P-E-A-R-C-E. It's the unusual spelling. Most of my strong business connections through social media come through LinkedIn people who are on LinkedIn are serious about building businesses and they're great connectors. And I've had, you know, obviously phenomenal relationships develop out of, out of LinkedIn. So that's an easy place to find me as well.
0: Awesome. So, so just any, you know, people that are listening to this, that um, I hear people that are like driven, motivated passionate, successful. And yet the ultimate goal and cause actually is about a bigger picture than themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you are the person to call. I mean, I, I can definitely say myself, like I, you and I have talked and done a little work together. And well, let's just say I wouldn't have you here talking to you on my podcast if I didn't if I actually vouch for you. Um, and people that want to talk, you know, like that's the place to go and people that want to talk about perseverance and courage and creating goals can come talk to me. Um, <laughs> that's right. And, uh, so, um, what else? Oh, I just want to thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for, I always say this is a little joke that I have, but whenever I have a client or even now somebody on the podcast that gets emotional, I'm like, I did it. Oh my <laughs> God, I, got, I, did, I did the thing that I got into their heart space. <laughs> um, but thanks for having the courage and the, the, the courage to be vulnerable publicly. Mm. Um, to share your your struggles your triumphs your your journey in general because it's all an ebb and flow right mm-hmm. you can't have the triumphs without the the, the pitfalls mm-hmm. um but thanks for the openness you know i don't know that i i didn't realize we would get so much into the pregnancy story and <laughs> i the didn't realize the challenges but i think it's really important and so thanks for actually blessing all of us everyone listening to share your journey because I'm sure somebody hearing this is having some sort of struggle that they just keep running into the wall. Mm -hmm. And what I got more from you than anything is you can actually run through the wall. You can go over the wall, you can go around the wall, but it doesn't always happen the way we look like. So thanks for sharing your journey with us for
1: that. Oh, thank you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you. I mean, I think it's so important that we talk about the realities of like pursuing our dreams against the backdrop of real life, you know, and it's not just all like glitzy glamorous stuff. You know, people have to really get through some things, but I love your visual of like, yeah, you can sometimes have to go through the wall. So that's how we do it.
0: Thanks again. I really, really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. You as well, Alex.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dream Mason podcast. Please subscribe to the Dream Mason podcast so you don't miss an episode. Share it with a friend and give us a review on iTunes. I am grateful to have had you here. If you want more, you can follow or reach out to me, Alex Terranova, on Instagram at inspirationalalex or at thedreammason.com or email me at alex at thedreammason.com. And remember, you are a dream, Mason, because your dreams don't build themselves.